We're so glad that you joined us today for this podcast from Bishop Quentin Moore and the Father's House in Hutchinson, Kansas. God loves you and wants the best for you, and we want to hear what God is doing in your life. Share your story with us by sending an email to mystory@fathershouse.net. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at fathershouse.net slash give. Just select the option that works for you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Got your Bible? Man, I'm saved up. I, 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 I got way too much to share and too little time to do it in, so I apologize. Thanks for staying until I'm done. Um, I'm going to go to, I'm going to read two portions of Scripture. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I believe this is out of the message, so I'm reading out of the message. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted over serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first, last word in everything that we do. One died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's great scripture. I love it. It's one of, my, one of my favorites. If I'm out of my mind, it's God's fault because it's about that love. And then go to John chapter 15, and uh, Jesus is speaking here in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, therefore, in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And as I have kept my Father's commandments, to abide therein. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Greater love, this is my keynote verse, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I ask. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Touch somebody and say, I, he has called me friends. In, in, in the line of stuff that I do, I hear preachers all the time talk about how they got called. Uh, can I just say something? He called all of us his friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he would give to you. These things I have commanded you that you would love one another. Man, I have a hard assignment this morning. I have to follow Pastor Sean. He did a great job. Uh, he, he's talking to you about a church on fire, right? How, how, to, how to live in that and, and that the church needs to remain on fire. And he, he said things like this, it's always lit. It's always lit. If you're on fire, you can't lit. It's always lit. Then he said stuff about how fire refines us and purifies us, how, how it burns those things out. And then, then he said, love never burns bridges, never burns bridges, and that it, it never burns on both ends. It's rather balanced. It doesn't, and uh, it understands the pattern of, of that process. And then last week, he did a phenomenal job about a church on fire overcoming insecurities, that you need to be free of the insecurities that other people place on you. So when I got to thinking about following him this morning, I, I really was going, now i got to fit into the theme that he set rather than him fitting into the, that's a little unusual for me. And, and so I thought I'd back up and talk about a church on fire is a church on love. If a church runs on anything other than love, 
it'll never be on fire. If it runs on its dogma, on its history, if it runs on its rules and its regulations, if it tries to run on why it's better than or opposed to or in favor of, if it runs on anything, if your life runs on anything other, and I'm not saying in love, I said on love. Lots of people can be in love and not on it. You, you can be in something, you can park that thing in a garage, that doesn't mean it is. You can go stand in the chicken coop, that doesn't mean you are. I mean, I'm just saying, a lot of people talk about how they're in love with Jesus. I want to know if you're on crack. I want to know if you're on this thing. If you're on, if you're, you can be in love with God and still not be high. A church on fire really is on love. It, it, Paul said, listen, I, I'm on this stuff. I, I'm out of my mind. It moves everything I do. I, I'm extreme about it. In fact, I would say if anybody's on love with Jesus, they are extreme. They stand out. You can't blend in. If you blend into this culture, you're not on love. If you get along to go along, if you just jump onto the crowd and onto the herd and whatever, but, uh, let me just say to you that the people that were on love with Christ, they stood out. That's why they were crucified. And they weren't crucified because they gave a plan to go to heaven. They were crucified because they were opposed to the culture that was around them. They were opposed to the status quo. Paul says, I'm on this stuff. It moves everything I can do. He writes to the Romans. He said, and by the way, you can't be separated from this. Once this stuff begins to go inside of you, nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you. The greatest thing in the world, he says, is love. Peter comes along and says, above all things, abide in this love. This book is filled with the reality that it keeps telling us that love is the greatest. It never fails. It lasts forever. And yet, the last chapter of this thing we call the Bible says you have forgotten your first love. You've let it go out. That's why the Hebrew writer writes back to us and says, listen, you need to fan that thing back into flame. You, you need to stir that back up. You, you need to, to put a little more oxygen in that reality. And this verse that Christ says, he said, the greatest, the greatest love. Say the greatest. It's not, a, it's, it's not what you think it is. It's the love for a friend. It's not the love you have for family. Because, see, you don't get to choose that. You don't get to pick that. I don't get to pick Nick and Heather. And that. The greatest love there is is the love of a friend because it's your choice. It's a free choice. It's, you're free to choose, and, and you're free to take it away. And he said the greatest love there is is when someone gives their life for their friend. We've all seen pictures and heard stories about how some soldier jumped on the hand grenade. You know, it, sometimes it's easy to give your life for people you don't know, but it is harder to give your life for people that you know really haven't got it all together. I'm real serious. It, sometimes to think about dying for somebody and you know all the areas of their life that are not, but you give your life for them anyway, you give your... He, greater love have no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. I call you friends. He said, listen, you're my friends, and I'm going to go give my life so that your life gets better. See, friendship is always concerned about making the other person's life the best it can be. I have been so blessed in my life to have people in my life whose motivation towards me was to make me better. Listen, friendship today is a lost art in America. 
Friend, we are impoverished today because we don't appreciate real friendship. We are so inundated with sexuality. We think that every relationship has to do with how sexy someone does, looks, how pretty they are. See, if it involves that, it's about what I can get from you, what I desire from you. Friendship says, I just want to be with you because I believe in you. I believe in your goodness. I'm not trying to get, are you listening to me? Listen, I'm coming at a culture that you've been listening to for two or three weeks. I really don't care about all that stuff. But it has filled our airways. And the reason it has is because we think relationship is based on what I get from you. But real relationship is not what I get from you, but what I can give to you. That, that, that I, I, I'm for you, not against you. I have come to give to you that which you need. I've come to make your life better. In fact, I've come to restore it. Greater love have no life than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. Are you thinking? Are you thinking about the friends in your life and not what they do for you? What have you done for other people to make their life better this week? Maybe yet today. He said, great. You, a church is never on fire until it's running on the power of friendship. Not running on its doctrine and its rule, but on the relationships of giving our lives away to other people. We have to understand Paul was a terrorist. Paul was killing the followers of Jesus. He was the worst of the worst. And God shows up to him. And reveals himself to him. Paul said, man, I'm a man out of time. I was his enemy. No wonder Paul's crazy. Because he realized how fortunate that he was. Do you know how I'm still on love with Jesus? Because I realized I wasn't there in the upper room. I wasn't there. The only reason I know about Jesus is not because it's in this book, but because of a friend. A friend of a friend of a friend, his name was Pete, said, do you know God loves you? I didn't know that. I had heard the Bible stories, but it was a friend that opened my eyes to the reality that I'm loved. And I have continued to have friends to remind me, you may not be perfect, but God loves you. That's what the world has to hear today, not about what they're doing wrong, what they ought to do, but that God has chosen them. That's the message that will save the world. Not do this, don't do that, live this way, join that one, don't. No. God said, you're my friend. I'm your friend. See, no longer, listen, I serve out of the reality of being a friend of God. I don't serve to earn brownie points. I serve because I've been served. He said, I'm not calling you servants, though you are called to serve. It's a proxy thing going on in your head. I don't call you servants. I call you because I'm going to give to you that which you can't get for yourself. I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to say it again. We're living in an era that disrespects friendship. We're living in an era that thinks that friending somebody on Facebook is having friends. Listen, real friendship has nothing to do with quantity. That's just the quality of the few relationships that you have in your life that you're truly giving your life for. Who are they, for heaven's sakes? We, we need, as the body of Christ, to recover the real value of friends. We need to take it back out of the virtual society and say, no, this is what it means. 
It means that we give our life to each other for the sake of their life, so that their life is better, so that their life is improved. So it's been throughout this thing forever. He called Abraham friend. He said, Abraham's my friend. He looked at Moses and talked to Moses face to face as a man talks to a friend. It's all Noah, David. It's all the way through this book that God had showed up to people and said, listen, listen. The Bible says that Abraham believed God. Therefore, it was accounted unto him to righteousness, and he's called the friend of God. What did Abraham believe? There was no Bible. There was no book. There was no Ten Commandments. There was no church. There was What was it that God asked Abraham that made Abraham become the father of the faith? Listen, all Abraham believed was the voice that he was hearing was God. Abraham believed that God was God. Moses believed that the, the, the fire in the bush was God, that I am. Jesus shows up and says, if you believe that I'm your friend, you know what Jesus' question is? Do you believe I'm the son of God? Do you believe I, you know, you can't be friends unless you believe that's Jim and I'm Quentin. You can't be, you can't be friends with somebody that you don't believe who they say they are. I can't, I can't be friends with somebody that I don't know. Come on. The only way I can be friends with somebody is up to know. I mean, Terry and I can tell you a story about, hi, my name's Bob. You can't be friends if you're not. Come on. God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, I'm God, not the moon. I mean, he shows up to Moses. And says, hey, I'm God. I'm here. With you. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm your friend. The minute you accept his self-proclaimed identity, that is the beginning of salvation. I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he's the son of God. I don't believe he came to judge me, condemn me, or criticize me. I think he came to be my friend. And not the friend that's expecting to sleep with me, but the friend that is working out for my good. we got to challenge the realities that are going on in America today in terms of what it means to be a friend. Not somebody that likes what I post. <laughs> Am I... Not somebody that agrees with my political status because I put it on Facebook. Please, please stop sending them to me because I don't care. People keep asking me, why don't you respond? Because I don't care. They keep wanting to know what I think. Nothing. I'm serious. Listen, we got to recover what it means to live for each other. Because if you believe Christ died for one and died for all, you live no longer for yourselves, but you live for other people. You're, you're looking to become other people's friends. If he friended you, you're supposed to be befriending the world, not because they have anything to give to you. It's not an exchange, but because you have something to give to them. You have this grace, this mercy, this, this, this hey, let me tell you how valuable you are. Let me tell you how, how much... I am thinking of you. And, and friendship cannot begin without conversation. Friendship always begins with God said. He calls Moses. He speaks to Moses. And, and Jesus speaks to us. Friendship begins when we're willing to risk saying hello. You know what will change your world? Speak to people. <laughs> just speak to people. Instead of just walking by. Ah, airports are hilarious. No one speaks to one another. They take all these people, cram them, and they never speak. You get on a plane, never even ask the lady what her name is. It's an, it's an amazing reality how you can get in an elevator and no one talks. Really? No, you, you, you know what's wrong in America? You can be that close.
close to another created being that is in the image and likeness of God and never ask their name. But you think you know God. If you don't love those closest to you, how could you ever love somebody you can't see? That's not just the ones you think you like. That's just being open to the world and go, hi, I'm my name. Hello? It's that simple. Christianity will never be promoted by teaching its doctrine. It'll be promoted because we befriend one another just because. And language is that gateway. Words are essential. They're holy. They're inherently holy. And when we employ them, are we employing them to befriend? Are we employing them to vilify? We use words in America today to make other people our enemy, to make other people's opinion opposed to us. Christ used language to befriend. Christ used words to reveal who he is so that you could know who you are. He didn't use words the way we're tossing words around today. Listen, we need to take that back. We are the people created by language and words, and we've been spoken to that we might speak that. Mm, Jesus says there will be an account for every one of those idle words that separates and divides and vilifies. Speech is the lifeblood of society. I'm a preacher for heaven's sakes. Paul writes and says, how will they know if they haven't heard? How will they know if they haven't heard? I'll tell you what's going on. They aren't hearing that God's their friend. They're hearing everything else. But, but, but did you know that book of Proverbs right down there in the middle of the book? It, there's nothing quite like that. It says a friend loves at all times. Not whenever they're just living up to your standard and making you feel good. But a friend loves. Can I tell you something about marriage? If it's not based on friendship, it will end. Marriage has to be the epitome, the ultimate of friendship. A friend loves at all times. A brother's born for adversity. I could go on and on and on. Uh, or there is a friend who sticks closer than a... A friend is like iron sharpening iron. I've had people tell me, I'm just your friend. I'm sharpening iron. No, you're criticizing. No, you're just telling me what you think's wrong. Why not? No, iron sharpening iron has to do with making you the best you could ever be. A friend is always working for your highest and your best and your fullest. It brings out the very best in your life. And Christ was condemned because he was a friend of tax collectors, a friend of sinners. Let me say to you, a church on fire is a church that understands that friendship is not an option that you can put on the Toyota. Friendship is the main fundamental basis of our faith. Friend is a favor. God does us a favor by being our friend. Friendship is favor. Without friendship, you'll never... See, the gospel is a gospel of friendship, and we're supposed to be living in a culture of friendship that gives ourselves away. Oh, my goodness. It puts oxygen into the air. Come on. Have you ever walked in a room and looked around and realized you had a friend or two there? It's like you can breathe again. Listen, I do this all the time, and I look up, and I'm always looking for someone in the audience that's my friend because I can breathe. Friendship, here's the question. Oxygen is breath. It's life. You can't live without it, right? Friendship puts oxygen in your lungs. Here, when you walk in the room, can other people breathe? We're supposed to be carrying that. He put breath in our lungs. by. It gives us insight and courage. And it, it, oh, well, 
like I said, I've got way too much here. There's a great verse in Ecclesiastes. It says this. It says, two are better than one because they have the good reward for their labor. If we fall, one will lift us up, but woe to him who is alone, for there's no one to help him. But this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I mean, say church on fire. Say church on love. Church that runs and lives in it. our community, our life, our family. Listen to this verse. Again, if two lie down together, will they keep warm? If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm? Friends are what will keep the fire burning. Listen to me. Your faith will go out. Your trust in Jesus. Your, your, your ability to be free in worship. Your ability to fall. Listen, morality will die in our culture if we're not friends with one another. The understanding of good and bad but if I understand I'm here for your good, then I know what hurts you. Friendship is the basis of morality. Society will fall apart if we don't continue to work for one another's good. And don't tell me you don't know because you do. Jesus, listen, you know. I chose you and the reason I chose you and, I, and you're my friends is because my friends know. And you listen, you do too. When you hear the news report, come on, you know. When you hear somebody talk to somebody in a certain tone, you listen, you know. I mean, look, I had that six-year-old in my house last night, and he wanted some cherries. So he went up and pulled out the whole bowl of cherries out of the, comes downstairs. I said, son, you know better than that. What? You know to get another bowl and put four or five. And he had the whole, he said, what? I said, what? I love it when Chris goes, what? What? Yeah, you know. You know you shouldn't be sleeping with four or five people. You know that. Come on, I don't have to tell you that. Say it with me. Yeah. Listen, morality and goodness and kindness, you really do too. No. Now, you may cover it up, but you, you know when it's too short. Don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> okay, never mind. Friendship. Friendship. It, it, there was this show on the air I'm going to run out of time. I should have. Wow. You remember this show back in the 90s called Friends? It was about six people living together in New York City. And it, 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 it became rather cultish. I mean, everybody watched it. Did you know it, they can't get it off the air? That the network is irritated about having to pay Jennifer so much money because of the... Did you know this? And that it's making a comeback? That it's in such syndication. It is the highest demanded syndicated show on the satellite networks today because people are hungry for friends. And, 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 and one of the actors said this, it's a fantasy for a lot of people having a group of friends who become like family. It's a fantasy. I read that the other day in a, in a news report. And I went, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's real faith. That's, that's the authentic Gospel, not this one we're peddling under the name of whomever. But, but authentic faith is living in relationship of friendship with other people. That's real. It's not arguing over whether, well, do we dunk you? Do we spit on you? Do we sprinkle you? Do you stand on one foot? Are they in? Are they out? Are they going? Are they not? No, no, no. It's living in this community of people where everybody's working for the good of other people. Where we believe the best about one another. Where we... Listen, I'm going to pass off the scene one of these days. I hope to leave behind just a community of friends. 
Can I just suggest to you that Jesus didn't leave a book? He didn't leave a doctrine. He didn't leave a, a party. He left a group of people, 11 to be specific, that were friends. 11. God could only make 11. That's how hard it is. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, he had 12, but one of them killed him. <laughs> you, you got, you, I mean, you know, the people that kill you are always, never mind. You, you got to run the risk. Jesus needed friends, couldn't he? Don't you? He really did. He said, could you pray with me? He needed them. You need them. Without them, faith is not what you think it is. If you receive me. Can I tell you something about friends? They know how to talk face to face to you, but they also know how to walk shoulder to shoulder. Listen, I, I talk face, but, but the best thing I do is walk beside people. In fact, in their toughest times, I'm just beside them. I don't know how to explain why mom was dying. I don't know how to explain why someone's... But, but just to be beside them. You know, you, there's a lot of things that you can do face to face, but let me tell you, the best things I've ever done is walk side by side and just nudge a little bit. Just put my arm around a little bit. My best work has been side to side. I can tell you, Anne and I are face to face, but our best work is side to side. The prettiest thing is that you walk beside Christ. He comes in the garden to walk with you and to talk with you. Am I making any sense at all? We need to recover friendship. We need to quit arguing about so many things and understand that my faith is based on greater love. I have no man than this, that he laid down his life. They give themselves. They change the world by loving one another and by befriending one another. And that he chose us, not because we could be the best kickball player. He chose us because he was the best kickball player. They didn't choose me. They didn't pick me. I had no talent. But God chose me because he has the talent. He chose me because he's the best. He chose me because he's perfect. And that he knew that if he chose me, his perfectness would be mine. Not because I am, but because he is. He chooses the least and the last and the lowest. And, and the, the people that are going to be on top are not going to be the talented people. The people on top are going to be the people that we marginalized and rejected and said, Can't, they're the ones that are going to be... Choose them. Choose them. That's why he, he picked. He chose. I'm still extreme and amazingly overwhelmed and radical about it because I know he came to Severy, Kansas and chose somebody that had no talent, no ability. <laughs> and, and you too. Oh, never mind. Sorry. I got to. I got to. Hmm. Okay, okay. I'm editing. That's what I'm doing. Did you know he chose you before the foundation of the world? That your sin was not a surprise. It's, it's a crazy thing. Your screw-ups didn't shock him. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you, knowing full well that you would... Say it with me. I was chosen before. He had a plan for my... He, he, he knew. The cross was not a shock to him. He came to die. He came because that was the plan, was to give himself for us and You remember the story in the Bible about Jonathan and David? You remember their instant relationship? It's the, it's the, it's the stuff legends are made of. The, the shepherd boy meets the prince, and the Bible says their souls are knit together. They become one. Not because they figured out, hey, you're, but because, see, friendship is a gift. It's a revelation. It, it's, a, it's an unveiling 
of the reality that this human being in front of you has a destiny in their life and that your destiny is interwoven with theirs. And they exchanged gifts not to win each other. They exchanged gifts because they were each trying to give to one another the best that they had so the other one could become the best that they could be. Do you understand that when you came to Jesus, it was an instant. Your souls are knit together. Aristotle says that friendship is two souls in one body. You understand there's a friend on the inside of you that, that, that you're intricately knit together and, and that Jonathan and David are a picture, a metaphor, if you will, of what real friendship is about how, uh, say it with me, I'm willing. I'm willing to be knit to whomever. I'm willing to receive every one of you as the image and the likeness of God. Everyone. Because he called all of us his friends. Tax collector. Jesus came to reveal to us this reality of Jonathan David that it is a miracle. Friendship offered to us is an absolute miracle. It's this gift that we see in Jonathan and David that wherein reveals a covenant understanding of how God has given everything to us. It's an opening up to this mystery of life. Did you know you can't love a kid? You won't even like children. I don't care how cute you tell me a baby is. You will not like them if you don't recognize them as a gift from God. You will not. And I, they don't get any better. Now, listen, I live for my grandchildren, but can I tell you, they're irritating. <laughs> they, they are. And, 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 but, but if you have an understanding of friendship and that you're there for them and they're not there for you, when you realize that people are not in your life for you, you're in their life for them. And that irritation is an opportunity for you to give back to them. Oh, well. I love what David writes towards the end of his life. He said, this love between I and Jonathan is so pleasant. It's, in fact, it's more wonderful to me than the love of a woman. Because I'm telling you, the culture you and I are living in right now is being destroyed by sexual attractions. And I'm sorry to be real frank with you, but it is. And you have to push away from that. You have to not just be offended by the absurdities of the abuse that is going on around us. You have to be offended by the reality that we reduce relationships to that reality. You have to recover that our greatest friendships are those that we choose that have nothing to do with what I can get but what I can give. That's where we are standing in the culture at this moment. Don't just be mad because, hey, that's wrong. No, no, no. Stand up and take our place and let us show the culture we're in. I can be your friend and not need anything from you. Let's, let's do that. Let's respond to all this trash around us by living up to the reality that we're friends of God and we're called to befriend the world. Let's do that. Let's, listen, I could talk to you real, real clearly about the offense of a friend. I could. But let me tell you, what it does is really drive me to be a better friend. I'm not sure that I'm doing this as heartfelt as I wanted to. Friendship. You remember David? He said, I got to show this to Mephibosheth. Jonathan's son, he said, this love that I have for Jonathan who is now gone 
this love that I have for Jonathan who died. I, I can't let that love stop just because Jonathan's gone. I have to reach out and grab somebody else. And he went and found Jonathan's. You remember this story? Love reaches. Love reaches. In the absence of the one that I was knit to, I reach for another. Love always reaches. I'm going to try to close this morning by saying to you that friendship reaches beyond every extreme in the world. Jesus rises from the dead. He's only going to be here 40 more days. There's a time limit to this. His human experience is going to expire in 39 days and 20 hours. But Cleo and a friend are walking to Emmaus. Now let me say to you, Cleo was not one of the 11. He's not listed as a disciple. So Cleo wasn't in the upper room. Cleo didn't hear you're my friend, but he had a friend that heard that Jesus called those people his friends. And so a friend that was in the room with Jesus went and told his friend Cleo that we're friends. So Cleo was not very close to Christ. Am I making sense? And Cleo has waited three days. The Bible says that Cleo had heard the report that Jesus was alive. The women had told him, but he could wait no longer. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're on a detour. They're headed the wrong direction. And Jesus shows up not to somebody he's called a friend, but to somebody that one of his friends had called friend. You see, friendship will reach further than you can run. Friendship will show up with you when your hopes are dashed. Friendships will show up to you when you've lost faith in the church because somebody has done something stupid. Friendship will reach. Listen, you and I are called to reach Cleo. We're called to join the road with Cleo who's been hurt, whose hopes are dashed, whose life has not turned out the way they wanted to. It's not good. And even though you were instructed to stay because the Holy Spirit is coming to Jerusalem, you're headed to Emmaus on a detour of disappointment. And Jesus, the friend of all humanity, comes and joins you on the detour. He doesn't get in front of you and argue with you and go, what the heck are you doing? No, he just comes and joins in your disappointment. He just joins in your weakness and says, what kind of conversation are you having? Just, just gets and starts listening. And it's interesting to me that they look at him and go, are you the only stranger here? How many times have we looked to God and said, you're weird. Don't you understand what's going on? I refuse to pray with most people because they're always telling God what's going on. Duh. I don't need to repeat to him the diagnosis that the doctor gave. He knows I don't need to tell him all the gory details. Listen, I stopped taking prayer requests because I got tired of hearing about Leroy's hemorrhoids. I got tired of it because we didn't need to know that. We just need to know we need to pray for Leroy. Never mind. Jesus will join you on the detours of your own disappointment. Walk right beside you. That's what friends do. How many of you know Jesus is that friend that will join you after the divorce? He'll join you after you've been betrayed. He'll just join you and he'll listen to you complain. He'll listen to your hopelessness. He'll put up with you vomiting. Am I, am I, I'm so in love with Jesus because he, he joined me on those 
It wasn't that I got saved once. It's that I've taken... Have you never taken a detour? I got to tell you, my faith journey, I've taken a few detours. And kept preaching to you, but I was on a detour. You didn't know it, but I was running around that thing. <laughs> See, you're never going to tell me. No, I've never done that. Oh, yeah. Listen, I've went through years of questioning whether or not God was... And just kept preaching. Kept praising. Because it was a habit. But personally, Jim, I was on a detour. I was struggling. This is not what I expected. Come on, how many of you ever been through season? This is not what I... I can remember going home Sunday after Sunday saying, I didn't sign up for this. I'm sorry. I remember laying in a hospital bed one night going, I didn't wait a minute. And Jesus just joined you, listening, talking. But did you know talking won't fix the loss of hope? Friends will join you in that, but talking, conversations. Their hearts were burning. A church on fire is a church that continues to converse with a God. They question whether or not he's there. My heart begins to burn because a friend just keeps talking, just keeps telling me the story of how and Jesus started from the beginning and just told them about the law and the prophets and how Christ must come and suffer and die. And their hearts begin to burn as they kept repeating, not my story, but the bigger story. Can I tell you, the only way you get through the stories of your life that are disappointing is you keep rehearsing the story that's bigger than your own. <laughs> And Christ just kept rehearsing his story. You and I are called to be those friends that come and join people on the detours of life. If there's anything I know is you keep reaching for Cleo, who's just a friend of a friend. He wasn't even in the room, but he was a friend of somebody that was in the room. Am I making any sense? Our faith is not to prove to somebody that we know the scriptures. Now, I know the scriptures. My faith, my, 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 I'm not called to argue with that with you. What's, I'm called to join detour on his, Cleo on his detour down to this. But speech alone didn't fix it. It didn't. But as their hearts were burning, they invited him into the room. And Jesus picked up a piece of bread on the table. It wasn't the conversation that changed it. Jesus picked up the bread on the table and he began to bless it. And he began to say, I am. And he began to break it. And the friend of a friend who wasn't even in the room when Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it. But Cleo had had Matthew tell him, that this man took the bread and said, I am. And he recognized the pattern. It was a secret. You're my friends because I tell you secrets. And the secret is, is that God became flesh and took our sin. And when Jesus reached out and took the bread, Cleo knew the only people that know that are the people that were in the room. That's a secret. The secret that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the bread of life, the living water, the lamb that was slain. And when Cleo watched Jesus pick up the bread and start saying what he was saying, Cleo's eyes were opened. Am I making sense? 
the secrets that we have is that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the message we have. And that he was blessed and broken. And that he gave his best to you so that you could be your best. And the minute the pattern was kept, the minute the habit, the discipline, the pattern, the act of worship is to remember Jesus. He was broken. Listen, we're almost 40 days out of Easter. I'm preaching to you an Easter message so that your eyes are open as we go into Easter. This is before Easter so that you know we're not going into Easter unknowingly. We're going into Easter knowing who it is that got on that cross. Our eyes need to be open. Our hearts need to burn. We need to be a church on fire on the love of God because we have friends that keep reminding us Jesus is broken for you. That's our message. And it doesn't change the more we get screens and lights and Facebook. It's the same story. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him. That's the only message there is. And it's told by friends. Because friends are who we believe. You don't believe me. But when someone knows you, you believe them. Eyes are open. Amen. We ought to be running towards Jerusalem, towards where that crucifixion took place. Jesus comes. He comes to reach us, to reason with us, to restore us, and to reverse our journey. It's the greatest comeback in history. Cleo turned around and went back. Maybe none of you in this room, but I guarantee you second service. Maybe there's none of you in this room that need to come back. Maybe there is. A comeback to the fire of God. A comeback to his love for you. A return. Come on. You need to be a comeback king. You, you need to get up, turn around, go back. It's interesting to me how many people tell me, well, I don't need church. I'm not going back to church. It's interesting to me how many Christians tell me, well, I'm working to those people outside. And they'll shout when I start preaching about outreach. But can I tell you about outreach? Jesus turned to him and said, you have to go back to the 11. The Holy Spirit is going to come where they're gathered together. Ministry is just not done out there. Ministry out there is done to turn them around them go back to the gathering of friends there needs to be a comeback to the real authentic church that's based on friendship and not on rules if this little place isn't anything it ought to be that place where people can come back not to be criticized because they took a detour not to be criticized because they lost hope but to be encouraged as they tell the story Christ reach out to me and I have come back. Our ministry should be to reach the Cleos but to turn them around and bring them back in the fellowship. I believe the greatest hour of the church in the world is now. I believe that because there's so many people that are hopeless and disappointed, hurt, 
wounded. Life didn't turn out. This is the greatest moment. There has to be churches that are based on friendship, on love. Just that. Not on the arguments of the world or the denomination, or, but just a place where you're a friend, where we're trying to give to you the goodness that God's given to us. I've spent a little over 30 years trying to do that, and I'm going to spend the next whatever I have telling that this is the Father's house and it's based on friendship. That's it. That's it. No greater love have a man than this than he lay down his life. Can I tell you, no greater love have anybody in this room that lays down his life for the people with whom it's living. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Father's House. We hope you stay connected by following us online at fathershouse.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at TFH Hutch.